Truth reading this evening will be read from Proverbs chapter 14, verse 34. Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Good evening. We're glad that you're here tonight. We appreciate so much your presence. We're going to be talking tonight about the crisis that we face in America, and we began this study last week. And this morning we spent some time and talked about some of the problems that we face in our country. And we want to pick up there tonight. And in light of the condition that we face in our country, I think about what Solomon said, the passage that Micah read just a moment ago in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 34. Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach unto any people. As we think about the crisis in America, I want to state that I have quoted past presidents of the United States and the presidents that I have quoted in times past, last week as well as this morning, I believe manifested a belief in the one true living God and the need to hold firmly to God's word. And so I make that statement because there are a lot of people in our country that believe in the Bible. There are people in the political realm, they believe in the Bible. They believe in the Christian system as we know it. But they are merely fallible people. And yet, ultimately, what we ought to be concerned about is what does God think? It's one thing to quote the expressions of men and women to cite the beliefs of individuals that have served in political office in days gone by. But ultimately, what is most important is what does the Bible say? And when it's all said and done, that's really all I care about. What does the Bible say? I am not here to advocate a political party. You have the right to vote. I would encourage you to vote. It's my feeling, and it has been my feeling for quite some time that the political process though the process we have in America is a good one it has served us well it is not perfect I do not believe nor will I ever come to believe that the political parties in our country have what it takes to bring about the changes necessary in this country the only power that I know of that can ultimately bring about the changes necessary in our country, the gospel. And so that's what I believe. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. If we want to change the world in which we live, what we need to do is uphold the gospel of Jesus Christ. Political parties, they may be well and good, but the bottom line is, what does the Bible say? And God's word is the only thing that can remedy a sick nation and sick people. So tonight we talk about the reality of where we are as a nation. I mentioned this morning the problems that we are facing in our country that are correlated to the home. And the home is, as one person has said, 
One of the saddest portraits of our day, so many problems exist in the home. And yet many of the problems that exist in our country could be remedied if we would get the home back on track. And the only way to do that is to get people to put their faith and trust in the Lord, to enthrone him as Lord of their lives. I said just a minute ago that when it comes to the political process, I'm not pushing a political candidate. The only person I am interested in getting people to elect is Jesus Christ. What I want to see people do is elect him as the Lord of their life. If they will enthrone Jesus as the Lord of their life, then the problems that we're talking about, they will disappear. And so, let's talk for just a moment or two about some of the ongoing problems that we face in our country. I begin by talking about crime in America, and the reason I bring up crime in America is because there is a link there to our judicial system. And primarily what I want us to think about is the judicial system, but in light of the current status of our judicial system, we need to understand the magnitude of crime in our country. Did you know that in our country, we spend about $1.7 trillion on crime in America. That staggers the imagination. I said last week to spend a trillion dollars, a person would have to spend $10 million a day for 273 years. That's a lot of money. Well, when it comes to crime in America, did you know that the United States has the highest rate of incarceration in the world with over two million people imprisoned? Furthermore, incarceration costs taxpayers annually $63.4 billion per year. And that was reported in CBS News, April 22, 2012. In Hosea chapter 4, Hosea indicted the people of his day because they had abandoned the word of God. And he said, as a result of that, there is swearing. That is, here were people that were making vows and weren't keeping them. They were swearing, they were lying, they were killing, they were stealing, they were committing adultery. And then, furthermore, he said they were committing acts of bloodshed. They break all restraint. Look at our nation today. Pick up the newspaper. What do you see? You see instances of murder, rape, theft, burglary, and then there are white-collar crimes. Many of us have seen problems that have stemmed from white-collar crimes all across our country. Individuals that have been bilked out of their life savings. And then what about child abuse? Child abuse takes many forms, verbal abuse, physical abuse. And what about the pedophiles? that prey on young children. And then there is drug usage and the sale of illegal substances. But I say that to talk about the judicial system. Wayne Jackson, in an article entitled, America, a Nation Out of Control, cites the decomposition of our judicial system in America. He appeals to a book that was written by former New York City judge Henry J. Rothwax, who is on record as saying, we have formalism and technicalities, but little common sense. It's about time America wakes up to the fact that we're in the fight of our lives. 
He goes on to say, there is no respect for the truth and without truth, there can be no justice. It's my opinion that the only way justice can be served in this country or any other country for that matter is for the punishment to fit the crime. Sadly, in America, there are too many individuals that have committed heinous crimes and for whatever reason, technicalities, other, other problems associated with our judicial system, they walk away scot-free, some with only minimal punishment. Listen, if you would, to what Solomon said about the importance of imposing a speedy sentence. In Ecclesiastes chapter 8 at verse 11, he said, Because the sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. And then also, listen if you would, to a statement that was made by King Artaxerxes to Ezra the priest, and Artaxerxes was the king of Persia. He was a pagan king at that. Listen, if you would, to what he said in the long ago. And I think herein lies a tremendous principle that we would do well to emulate in our judicial system. He said, and you, Ezra, according to your God-given wisdom, set magistrates and judges who may judge all the people who are in the region beyond the river, all such as know the laws of your God and teach those who do not know them. Whoever will not observe the law of your God and the law of the king, let judgment be executed speedily on him, whether it be death or banishment or confiscation of goods or imprisonment. Now, listen if you would to a statement made by Burton Kaufman in his commentary on this passage. Here's what he says. Our system our own system of government in the USA today is tragically unjust and inefficient in their rejection of this vital principle. The average time between the conviction of some brutal and heartless murder and his execution is measured in years and sometimes reaches more than a decade. There is no wonder that criminals hold the law in utmost contempt. And then here's what it says. Half a millennium before Christ, a pagan Persian king knew the futility and worthlessness of such a system as we in America have imposed upon ourselves. Let me tell you what, he got it right. Look at our judicial system, and I do not mean this, I do not mean this in any, in any flippant manner but it is a joke. It is a joke because the American people have allowed it to become a joke. A lot of the problems that we are facing in America could be corrected by those of us who are citizens in this country. If we would hold lawmakers and politicians to a higher standard, in many cases we have given them free passes and that ought not be the case. So we talk about crime in America. 
the judicial system and now alcohol and drug usage. We're talking about things that are bringing about rampant decay, decadence in our country. The number of Americans using illegal drugs has continued to rise, reaching 22.6 million or 8.9% of the population in 2010, according to a government survey, and that was according to USA Today, .com 9-10-2011. Add to that the growing number of people in our country that are using prescription drugs illegally. Did you know that experts state Vicodin and Oxycontin are two drugs that are targeted by abusers in our country? It's amazing the number of people that are pill shopping in our country. And let me just preface this by making this observation. The problems that we are having with regard to alcohol and drugs are not isolated in the world alone. Let me tell you what, we have these problems in the church. We have people in the church of our Lord that are using alcohol, they are using illegal drugs and they are using prescription drugs in an abusive way. So, here's what the National Institute of Health has said. They estimate that close to 20% of people, 48 million to be exact, over the age of 12 in the US have used prescription drugs for non-medical purposes. What does that say? says people are looking for a high. We've gotten so caught up in our country with the idea of pleasure and gratification and what makes me happy and what puts me on a high that we've forgotten what life's all about. There are a lot of people in our world today, they're looking for an escape. They're looking, they're looking to get away from everything and they're doing that through drugs and alcohol. Let me cite for you some staggering statistics that are related to young people. We have a lot of young folks in this congregation and they are not immune to the problems I'm talking about. In our schools today, they're being faced with alcohol, prescription drugs, pot or marijuana, cocaine. I mean, the list goes on and on. The National Center on Alcohol and Substance Abuse at Columbia University report, teen substance use is our nation's, listen to this, number one health problem. That ought to get the attention of every man, woman, and child, and particularly, it ought to get the attention of those of us who are parents. It is our number one problem. They are the future guardians of this country. If the future guardians of our country are doped up and drug addicts, what does that say about the future of our country? Let me tell you what it says about the future of our country. We don't have a prayer, not one prayer. 75%, 10 million of all high school students have used addiction or addictive substances, including tobacco, alcohol, marijuana, or cocaine. 
one in five of them meets the medical criteria for addiction. Listen, that's not just in Atlanta, Georgia. It's not just in Chicago, Illinois. That's not just a, a statistic for New York City. It applies to Olive Branch, Mississippi, to Memphis, Tennessee, to Nashville, Tennessee. This is coast to coast, pole to pole. These are the problems that we're facing. You know what we need to do in our country? We need to wake up. We better wake up. Young and old alike, black or white, rich or poor, we better wake up. We need to understand we are in the fight of our lives. The Bible says that the most high rules in the kingdoms of men. God is still on his throne. God is the one who is ultimately in control. Proverbs chapter 20 verse 1 is still good scripture. The Bible says wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Do you have alcohol in your refrigerator or in your cabinet at home? I want to encourage you to pour it out and then repent. If you're using alcoholic beverages, if you are using illegal substances, if you have a problem with prescription drugs, here's what you need to do. You need to get help right now. It'll cost you your soul. That's how serious it is. It may cost us our nation, but more importantly, it will cost you your eternal soul. What we're talking about, this is serious stuff. What about the remedy for a sick nation? How do we turn this thing around? Is it possible to turn this thing around? In all candidness, I don't know. I don't know if we can turn it around. I hope and pray we can, but I just don't know. When you look at some of the problems that we are facing in this country, you have to wonder, is it possible? I do believe that I know what can bring about effective change. I think I have a good idea of what can be done to get us back on track. Now, whether or not we will be where we need to be, I just don't know. But let me isolate for you three things I believe we need to do as a nation of people if we're going to somehow get back on track. Here's the remedy. Here is the divine prescription. I said this morning that the things we've been talking about are negative. It is not a pretty picture when you look at what's going on in our country. It's not. If anything, it is sickening. It ought to make you sick at what's, what's transpiring in our country. But here's what we need to do. Number one, I believe that we need to reason with people. Listen, if you would, to what Isaiah said to a sick nation of people, a sin-sick nation of people. In Isaiah 1, verse 18, Isaiah said, Come now, let us reason together. You and I have the ability to reason with people. What this entails is us knowing the scriptures well enough to sit down and to discuss peaceably, kindly, and lovingly what we believe. We need to understand that there are a lot of people in our world today, they have mixed up values. 
Do you remember what Isaiah said? Woe to them that call evil good and good evil. Great picture of our day and time. There are people today, they do not understand the difference between good and evil, right and wrong, truth and error. So whose responsibility is it to reason with these people? It's our responsibility. So we have to know the word of God well enough to be able to logically and scripturally tell them what the Bible says. If someone were to ask you, what do you believe about a certain subject? What would you say? We've been talking about alcohol, drug usage, abortion, homosexuality. These are hot topics in our, in our nation. If someone were to ask you, are you an advocate for abortion, homosexuality, etc., what would you say? Are you against it? Again, what would you say? Here's what Peter said. Sanctify the Lord God in your heart and be ready always to give an answer to everyone that asks you a defense, if you please, of that which we believe. We have to know what we believe and why we believe it. Now, having said that, if you look at the preaching and teaching of the Apostle Paul, one of the things that's evident is he spent a lot of time reasoning with people, discussing the scriptures and talking to people about life and about what, what God would have people to do. For example, did you know that the Apostle Paul spent 18 months in the city of Corinth? Corinth was a cesspool of evil. In the, in the city of Corinth, people were well known for their ungodly lives. And yet Paul spent 18 months there doing what? Preaching and teaching the word of God. And do you know what Luke said about those people in Corinth? In Acts 18 verse 8, he said, Many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. What about those people that lived in Corinth? Well, he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers shall inherit the kingdom of God, and such were some of you. Now let's just think about that for a minute. In the first century, there were people who had embraced idolatry. Is it not the case that we're living in a day and time where pluralism reigns? Look at our country. We have people that believe Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam. Well, what's the remedy? We have to teach them, don't we? And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul said that there were some people there that were living lives of homosexuality. He said, such were some of you. What did that entail? It entailed the Apostle Paul sitting down and talking to them about their lifestyle, trying to bring about a change of heart. It's called repentance. That's what the Apostle Paul was after. Now, in light of this, when we sit down and talk to people, here's the, here's the question. What, what law, what standard are we going to say is the one to follow? The laws of our land? Or is there a higher law 
to which we must appeal. I believe that we must appeal to a higher law. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 18, all authority, all power has been given to me in heaven and on earth. In chapter 17, verse five of the book of Matthew, God the Father said that we are to hear Christ. Paul said, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That means to do it by his authority. Now in Galatians 6, verse two, Paul said that we are under the law of Christ. It's called by James, the perfect law of liberty. Chapter one, verse 25. This is the law that will ultimately judge us. John 12, 48, Jesus said, he that rejecteth me and receiveth not my word hath one that judgeth him. The words that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. Paul said, we know that the judgment of God is according to truth. Jesus asked the question, what is truth? Or actually, the question was posed to Jesus. And the Lord said, sanctify them in truth, your word is truth, John 17, 17. So we have to establish a standard of authority. The standard of authority that I'm appealing to, this book right here, it's called the Bible. There are laws that are on the books in our country that are in conflict with this book. The laws in our country may sanction certain actions, but this book says that won't go. Abortion. Did you know that Christians ought to be pro-life because God is pro-life? Forget the politics. We're not talking about politics. We're talking about what the Bible says. The sanctity of human life. The fact that every, every fetus in the womb is a human being. I encourage you to read Psalm 139. The psalmist there talks about our unformed parts. And in that context, God in heaven sees that unformed fetus in the womb and he says, that's a human being. I don't care what politicians say. I don't care what school teachers say. I don't care what university professors have to say about it. That's what the Bible says. And that's really all that matters. So in our country, we sanction abortion. We've committed in our country 55 million abortions. That ought to be enough to shake every man, woman, and child to his or her boots. Do you not think God in heaven's gonna hold us accountable for that as a nation of people? Why is it that I'm against abortion? I'm against abortion because the law of God says it's wrong, period. End of story, that's enough. Well, what about homosexuality? We have some states that are now honoring same-sex marriages. Is it heartbreaking to see people that we know and love who are caught up in a lifestyle that the Bible says is wrong? Well, sure it is. Many of us have family members that are caught up in this lifestyle. Listen, when we talk about homosexuality and when we talk about why we're against it, we are not targeting the human being. What we're saying is we are against the practice. When God, well, when Jesus surveyed the seven churches 
of Asia in Revelation chapters two and three, the Lord said, I hate the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. He didn't hate the people. He hated the doctrine. And so as a child of God, we hate any philosophy, any practice that would conflict with the word of God. The psalmist said in Psalm 119, 104, I hate every false way. If it's, if it's against the word of God, then, then we say it's wrong. Now in our country today, we, are, we have a number of people that are practicing same-sex marriages, or actually they are, they are honoring same-sex marriages. Please, look at what the Bible says. Jesus said marriage is between a man and a woman, Matthew 19. Go back and read Genesis chapter two. It could not be any plainer. The laws of our land may sanction same-sex marriages, but the law of God trumps the laws of our land. Now the president of our United States is on record as saying he supports same-sex marriage. Let me tell you what, there's somebody who sits on a higher throne than the president. He is the ruler over the kings of the earth, Revelation chapter one, verse five. That's Jesus. Now, what you need to understand, and I think what we all need to understand is that the way to, the way to remedy the problems we're facing, number one, we have to reason with people. And we have to talk to them and say, look, this is not my opinion. This is not what I think. This is what the Bible has to say. When you talk to somebody, if they reject the authority of Christ and the Bible, you don't have anything to work with. Not one thing. Because, I mean, after all, this is the book that's the standard. Number two, we must refuse to be silent in a world of darkness. John said in 1 John chapter 5, verse 19, that the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. We are engulfed in spiritual darkness, and yet the command is for us to speak up and to speak out. Did you know that all that is necessary for evil to exist is for good people to say nothing? There are a lot of folks in the church, they have the idea that when it comes to moral issues, what we ought to do is sit back and not say a word. That is not biblical. How do I know that? In Ephesians chapter five, verse 11, Paul said, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. The word reprove means to convict, to chide, to call to account, to show one his fault. And then there is what Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13, the need to rebuke some people sharply. Somebody says that's unkind, that's unloving. Let me tell you what, we can sit back and say nothing and we'll all go to hell in a close embrace. That's just the facts. 
What we ought to do is love people enough to speak up and say, listen, what you need to do is consider this because God in heaven loves you and God in heaven wants the best for you. And here's what the Bible has to say. The word rebuke means to censor severely. Let me ask this question. Since we're talking about those who have the idea we ought to just sit back and be silent. Can I preach the gospel and leave other people alone? Let me just ask that question. That's a fair question. Let me tell you what. Every time I stand in this pulpit, there is the distinct possibility I will offend people. I'm not trying to offend people because I want to. Paul asked the question, am I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? The bottom line is this. If I were to preach the gospel and not offend anybody, the bottom line is I might be a preacher, but I wouldn't be a, a gospel preacher. For example, let's just say I preach on creationism. Well, automatically, I set myself at odds with the atheist. Or what about the agnostic who says, how can we know? Oh, but you can't preach and offend anybody. Oh, really? If I can't preach and teach the truth and stand up for what's right and do it in a loving and kind way, then I don't know what the Bible teaches because I know I can. I know we can. But you can't preach the gospel and leave people alone. What about, what about if I preach that the old law's been nailed to the cross, been done away, that we're no longer under the Mosaic dispensation? In other words, we're not under the law of Moses, the Jewish system. Well, if I preach that, automatically I set myself at odds against those who are practicing Jews, do I not? Do you see the fallacy of sitting back and saying nothing? The very idea that you could preach the gospel and leave other people alone? When I preach on moral issues, I understand it goes with the territory. So, I have to preach against moral issues. Every person who calls himself a gospel preacher has to stand up for moral issues. Every Christian has to stand up against moral issues or for moral issues. Let me tell you what, if we remain silent, then we'll allow evil to run rampant. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27, the apostle Paul said, neither give place to the devil. All the devil wants is an open door. And in many respects, what we've done, we've flung the door wide open and we're not doing anything to challenge the work of the devil. Now, I want to say this because a lot has been said and written about homosexuality. And the reason I keep bringing homosexuality and abortion and some of these things up is because they are hot topics and that's what we're faced with. And if you don't think it's a threat to our country and if you don't think it's a threat to the traditional family, then I would encourage you to read 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 6 where God destroyed the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and said that they serve as an example to those who would live ungodly. 
As long as I have a voice, I'm going to stand up and I'm going to speak out and I don't care what anybody says because that's my God-given responsibility. I cited a video that was shown at the White House during the Clinton administration. It was titled, That's a Family, and it is pro-homosexuality. And Wayne Jackson, in an article entitled, New Video Promotes Homosexual Agenda, has said this. President Clinton has done more to encourage the growing acceptance of the gay movement than possibly any other leading political figure alive. I would say that our current administration has trumped the Clinton administration. That's not, that's not opinion, that's a fact. Why is that? Because he is on record as saying he supports same-sex marriage. He's taken it to a higher level. But here's the point of reading this. We talk about the fear of speaking up and the fact that we must refuse to be silent in a world of darkness. Here's what Brother Jackson has said. The plan of those promoting this pro-homosexual video is to have it shown in elementary and middle, middle schools around the country. The ultimate goal, of course, is to condition the minds of our youth to accept same-sex relationships as perfectly normal social constructs. It is the responsibility of every informed Christian to exert his influence against this corruption of the God-ordained family institution. The home is designed by the Creator as the foundation of society's stability. Unravel the fabric of this sacred institution and national disintegration cannot be far behind. Yes, one must speak the truth with kindness, compassion, and genuine love, but he must speak it. Far too many, silence. For too many, silence means consent. There is an old adage, the creaking wheel gets the grease. And those who clamor loudly for their base cause will achieve a measure of success if good people stand by and say nothing. We must not be intimidated, intimidated by epitaphs of homophobia, bigotry, etc. Look, you can call me old-fashioned, narrow-minded, bigoted, whatever you want to call me. That's your right. But let me tell you this. All I'm saying is... This is what the Bible says. You can like it, you can not like it, but the bottom line, it is what it is and it will not change. And we need to have the backbone in the Lord's church to stand up and say, you know what, this will not pass in this country. We need to have the courage and the moral, the moral fortitude to stand up and say, you know what, we're not going to sanction that kind of stuff. We need to speak up and we need to speak out. And I would add an amen to that. Thirdly and quickly, repentance and pardon. The goal of our teaching and preaching is to change the hopeless direction of people to one of hope and spiritual prosperity. Sometimes people have the, the idea or the attitude that, well, we can preach and teach, but it's just not going to do any good. Let me tell you what, it worked in the first century. Now, I don't know what the future holds in this country. I'm not sure if we can get things back to where they ought to be. I don't know. God in heaven knows. But I know this, we can do our part. And there are good people that will rise to the challenge all across our brotherhood and stand up and say, this is what the Bible says. What do we need to do? We need to keep preaching. We need to keep teaching. We need to keep encouraging and persuading people. When the Apostle Paul went to the city of Corinth, 
Imagine what he thought. I mean, look at, look at the people who lived in Corinth. They were living in fornication. They were living in adultery. They were living in homosexuality. Some were thieves. Some were drunkards. And yet Paul went into that city and he preached the gospel to those people. And when he preached the gospel, that word fell on good and honest, honest hearts. People obeyed the gospel. They became New Testament Christians. And I believe that one day there are many of those people in Corinth that will be in heaven. There are people all across this country that you and I can reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We will never reach them if we say we're not going to say anything. We will never reach them if we don't try to teach them. We have to teach. We have to pray. We don't have a choice. Should we love them? Absolutely. But just loving them doesn't get the job done. You've got to stand up and speak out and say, this is what the Bible says. This is what God wants for you. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach unto any people. That's what Solomon said. And I believe it to be the case. I hope and pray that we can get our nation where it ought to be. I hope and pray that we can kindly encourage people to become New Testament Christians. The Bible tells us that we are to war a good warfare, that we are to fight the good fight of faith, that we are to take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That's the instrument by which we convert the world. The way to change the world, not protest, not riots, but rather teaching and preaching, sowing the seed of the kingdom. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we are grateful for this day and for the many blessings that we enjoy in this life. We're thankful for the blessings of freedom that we have in this country. And we pray for our current administration. We pray for our president, our vice president, members of Congress, the Senate. We pray for every local leader. We pray, Father, that you would bless them with the wisdom to look to your word for guidance and counsel. And that they would recognize the importance of following your word. We ask, Holy Father, that you would forgive us and that we would, as your people, do our very best to exalt your name throughout this earth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you're here tonight and you're not a New Testament Christian, we plead with you to come to Christ. The Bible says that Jesus is the good shepherd and Jesus, as the good shepherd said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly, John 10 at verse 10. If you're here tonight, you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, why not come in simple trusting faith, repent, be baptized, God will add you to the church. Every sin washed away, Acts 2, verse 38 through 47. Be faithful until death, the promise is the crown of life, Revelation 2, verse 10. If you're unfaithful, we plead with you, come home. Do so tonight as we stand and sing.